Hello and welcome to episode 244 of the Mark and Me podcast. As always, I'm your host Mark. Now joining me on today's episode is a huge guest. If you're a fan of the band Him or you're just a good fan of solid great music, you will know this guest. I'm joined by Villay Velo. Yes, he's joined me today on the Mark and Me podcast and for me this is one of my favourite interviews this year. We get deep, we talk all about his solo project, his times in him, the UK tour next year, his brand new album which is out next year called Neon Noir, the download announcement and so much more. It's absolutely amazing and that interview will be coming up in just a couple of minutes time. But before we get there, let's touch base and talk about my last episode. On episode 243, I was joined by the film director, Philip Barantini. We got to sit down and talk all about his absolute masterpiece, and I really truly mean that word, Boiling Point. One of the best British films I've seen, one of the best films of the year, and again the response was amazing. So thank you to everyone that tuned in and listened to that interview. But today it's huge, one of the biggest guests that's ever been on Mark and Me, Valet Velo, and I can't wait to get to it. So here's me and Valet talking all things music. First of all, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast. It's an honour to have you on. Likewise. It's a, it's a pleasure. What I like to do for the listeners out there is take it right back to the very start. So tell me about those first albums that you remember buying. Maybe you were a kid or maybe your family were playing them in the house, but those first albums that you fell in love with that made you basically adore music. Um, uh, the first first album i ever bought with my own weekly allowance i collected collected my pennies and uh and i put them together for animalized by kiss i think oh, that wow. was 84 and um that was yeah it was advertised on tv and that was the hottest stuff on the block at the moment and and uh it was a huge kiss fan as a lot of scandinavians were you know for some, for some reason that band has always been huge as as well as i made it over yeah. uh, my neck of woods and um that was the first. Then I remember very vividly that um, I had my second set of allowances put together, uh, <laughs> stashed it up, and uh, and uh, I went to um, went to a record store and I saw we sold ourselves to rock and roll, the compilation album by, uh, from Black Sabbath, which was yeah. this uh, gatefold vinyl, and it and I it looked really interesting. I heard great stories about it and whatnot, and. And uh, I opened it up, and there was this photograph of a of a dead lady in a coffin, I guess holding roses or something like that. <laughs> and it scared the living stuff out of me <laughs> because I, I was really young when I was sort of maybe nine years old or whatever. I was like, "What the hell is this?" And uh, I ended up buying um, the Ultimate Sin by Ozzy, which has that oh, sort of like Ozzy painted into a monster. Amazing. And, uh, it's funny how that can change the direction of what you're actually listening to because it took me a long time to get back to uh, kind of refine uh, Black Sabbath. Yeah. So I went through the 80s, you know, the puffy hair and all that stuff, right back to, to the 70s and then later on. But uh, I, I grew up with that stuff and then I had a cousin who who was uh, making me some mixtapes with, uh, you know, on the other side, a bit of Michael Jackson's Thriller and then on the other, a bit of uh, Deep Purple. Oh, so, amazing. Uh, Those foundations are incredible to uh, start with. Yeah, um, yeah and it's funny how, how uh, profound the influence is, like where you, where you start, just a couple of albums, and not just because you remember them, but uh, just how it kind of leads, leads towards what, whatever you're listening next. And my parents, for example, they, they didn't like the Beatles. 
Wow. So uh, there's no Beatles in the house. They like the Rolling Stones. And then um, my dad loved Motown and also like soul music. So I grew up with a lot of that. Plus, plus then local Finnish music, more sort of, no, what I call it, like of the sort of folky stuff or Nick Cady sort of moody blended. Oh, lovely. Sort of what, a, what a nice mix. What a collective mix. Well, I mean, it was, shouldn't be like that when you're, when you're liking music. You know, it should be a very set. It's like it's the same with, with food. Yeah. You know? The biggest love, plate of all the different starters and the side dishes. and Even, even though we know pizza is the best, it doesn't work. <laughs> like, we can't eat it every day. You need to sort of like take a breather from your yeah. mother to, to appreciate it again. You know? I love it. And what about when you first went to see a band live? Because that's when it changed for me. I'm... I'm now 40, so my first gig, proper gig, was Green Day on their Dookie tour. So I was like, wow, like punk rock in my face, three people playing a lot of noise. But what was your first gig where you remember the hair sticking up on your neck and you were just like, this is mind-blowing? I'm turning 46 in a week or so. So my first gig was, uh, because I just checked it out, um, uh, was uh, Iron Maiden at the Helsinki Ice Hall on November 16, 88, if I'm not mistaken. Wow. And uh, uh, Wasp were supporting. They were touring with the Electric Circus album, and Iron Maiden were touring with the um, uh, Somewhere in Time, um, with Wasted Years and all those all those songs. Which is great because now they're going to be touring the same sort of theme next year. So I was yeah, thinking of was... back because because I I did buy the T-shirt. I have the original T-shirt from the first gig I ever went to, which was Maiden. That's so, incredible. Um, it kind it kind of fits. But it's yeah. all the hold and all that stuff. I was thinking if there would be chance to meet some of the guys, maybe maybe Steve, because he was one of the reasons I started playing bass guitar. Um, that was my first instrument to get the T-shirt signed or something. That'd, That'd be amazing. amazing. Mm-hmm. You'd be like, "Wow, this is a great copy," and you'd be like, "No, it's an original." Yeah, indeed, it's the real thing, the real deal. And I've actually worn it on an occasion. It doesn't well, you know, I've changed a bit, but uh, but now that I mean, it suits me fairly well that's amazing and when you went into wanting to be a a musician and an artist and a songwriter did you have the full support from your family because you said that you know then there's no beatles in the house and they listen to motown so when you were writing songs were they telling you to get a real job and focus on a proper career or were they very supportive and knew that you had a talent i I think they were hoping that i'd continue studying but then then again of course they understood that music was the only thing i cared for and uh and um they they supported me by buying the first instruments for for me like the bass guitars when I was going to music school when I was maybe nine years old or something and uh, I think the biggest thing was that uh, uh, I quit school around seventeen or so and uh, my dad helped me out with my first friends so I was able to actually live on my own in a really small flat right when we had formed him and and only to concentrate on the music I remember the rest of the guys in the band they had to work all sorts of menial jobs and uh, and uh, it's tough if you if you if you want to build a world, you know, create your own little sort of fantasy land, you know, which a good rock or a metal or whatever man should be. Uh, it takes all the effort. It takes all the time. It takes twenty four hours to sort of like every day to build it little by little. Your own vocabulary and your own mood board or whatever you want to call it. You know, I always consider those kinds of bands to be important for myself. They don't have to be rock or metal. Or Depeche Mode is a good example. Yeah, you know, they're very it's very involved the whole the whole the Corbin the whole visual aspect of it and 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 lyric lyrical aspect and it, it is a journey I always appreciated arts, arts like that as opposed to the sort of McDonald's music yeah 
And, and now in hindsight that you can look back on him, it's been obviously nearly five years now since you did your final tour, but now that you have that chance to break away and look at it as a memory instead of being in it, yeah. did you ever believe it could be as big and how kind of cult it became? Because if you look at the size and the scale of your fan base, you couldn't have even dreamed of that. Well, of course I could have dreamed of that and I probably did. And uh, I wish it would have been bigger. But uh, uh, but to be to be honest with you, you know, uh, coming from such a small country, uh, doing it the hard-headed sort of stubborn way we did, without kissing any unnecessary butts, uh, <laughs> it's, it's pretty darn amazing to be able to um, you know make a living yeah. off of music, and 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 then also for such a long time, you know, the, I've, I've been doing this profession for maybe 26, 27 years, which is crazy. So yeah. Of course, I'm not complaining. But of course, also at the same time, there's high hopes, and you, and you have to shoot for the stars when you, you know, nobody starts band to be in top twenty. No, everybody needs to think that their own songs are the best because that's the best interpretation of their world, the way they see reality around them. So, and hear it. So, uh, so yeah, I'm I'm glad, but I'm still hungry. Yeah, and. While you were living it, and I know it's hard because now it's, like I said, it's five years later, but did you see the growth from within? Because each poster you got, you must have seen yourself the next year at a festival going higher up and then higher up the lineup and then seeing yourself getting more people coming to the concerts and then more people wearing your T-shirts. Or was it all kind of a blur because you were so involved and so in the middle of it all? Um, I think the cool thing that happened with him was that the success in different countries was on very different levels with each and every album so yeah. um when we started out the very first album was very well received back back home in finland that was a great start then the next one was huge in germany and for whatever reason we ended up having a like a pop hit we were in the like a kitty pop magazines and doing top pops every other week there and while i remember yeah actually i think it was 2001 or so we um played our biggest um headlining concert in germany was maybe eight eight thousand tickets sold it was sold that was a massive place for us yeah and the next week we flew i actually drove over to uh to the uk for our first tour here and uh we literally played in front of 20 30 people in the corner of pubs so i think that 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 humbled the band because yeah. at the end of the day you know we're, we're fans of music and for us it was uh, coming over to the uk was like um sort of mecca thing in a way that playing in birmingham first times knowing that sabbath from there and all yeah the history wow yeah, well it is a big deal and it is a big deal from us coming from an outsider country you know where we're not the you know we didn't build the, the the whole platform of rock and roll or whatever you want to call it so 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 and and i still still myself i'm, I'm definitely a fan so there's there's a lot of that sense to to all the traveling and all the so like seeing the name on on the tour posters you know it's um you're part of a tradition you're part of a world and you're part of a passion and, and uh and it's pretty amazing it's not a competition per se no you know i don't find it that way because you know it would be disrespectful for me to think that uh, my name would ever be in bigger letters than some of my idols of course yeah. and so, and i kind of when you wrapped it up do you feel now there's any regrets or was it the perfect time now it's five years later to look back were you happy the way it ended and the way you got the final tour and that people were you know came in their floods and absolutely adored everything you did do you feel you went out at the best time uh the, the sort of farewell tour it went 
went great. It went way better than expected. I remember a manager saying that nobody wants to see you anymore. We, you know, I think the band is done. You know, just call it quits. And we were like, now nah, we want to do this one little trek around the globe, if, if at all possible. And then it went super, super well. So that part was great. But uh, now thinking, as I am turning 46, I'm thinking that maybe we should have uh, called a day a bit earlier. That would have enabled me to to uh, do a few more albums in the future. I, I feel stuff, you know, I see, I can see the end. So, uh, so, uh, uh, so uh, yeah, it's, it's quite interesting. It's, um, I think we really tried. We didn't leave any stones un- unturned regarding being sure about calling it a day. Yeah. So we really, really discussed it. We really tried to work on new material, but it felt that we just, we just didn't like it anymore that much. We appreciated all the work and we appreciated all the albums we'd done, but working on new materials, it, it seemed that everybody had better things to do, which is not the correct way to, to be in a band. It needs to be, no. it needs to be a focal point. It needs to be, at least to me, it needs to be the center point and the, and the, yeah, the main, the sort of, yeah, the focal point of, of it all, of, of a life. So, um, so in a sense, I'm really proud that we did, uh, uh, we did, call it a day when we did because it would have been travesty to continue any further we we weren't really fighting about stuff and you know, and that's probably that's probably the worst because bang is way better than a whimper in it <laughs> that's a, hell of a good the, quote well at the end of the day and now you know it's, you know like relationship for example when the stuff yeah. is just wither out and, and and it's so sad it takes a lot of energy and it's not fair for anybody involved and then you're just somehow trying to resuscitate uh the whole thing the entity when it's when you when you clearly understand it's it's way too late you know it's past your bedtime so to speak so so when it happened and it all went obviously we're looking back now a few years but you said you still had that itch you still wanted to carry on did you want to give yourself a certain amount of time to not tour to not go out there and do press did you just want to just basically take some time out just to not do the band life I, I think what was important was to not to repeat myself when it comes to to exactly that that you just said the band life. Yeah, I want to. Um, I did a project in Finnish, like uh, we sang some seventies Finnish pop songs with a with a band that's been around forever called the Agents. So I, I did a I did an album with them. We toured. I recorded the album and toured in two thousand eighteen and two thousand nineteen. So I kept myself busy. I wanted to do something in the realm of music because that's my still my lifeline. I couldn't imagine uh, my world without music. So uh, it was cool to do a musical one eighty, do something that's very different and very challenging, and especially that particular band's. It's um uh, because with him, I was always able to sort of hide behind the noisy guitars and the volume and the lights and everything. And then with this sort of retro 70s type of music, uh, pop music, um, it was, uh, I couldn't do that at all. It was really sensitive, the music, very kind of hard to sing because it was really sweet, very quiet, very different aesthetic and different dynamic uh, I'd gotten used to over the years, which was fantastic just because of it. It's good to keep oneself on, on it's good to keep yourself on, on your toes and, and challenge yourself. And that's, that's what I tried to do. So it was sort of like going around a full circle in a way that that was the music my parents were listening to when I was born. So that's the that's the mother's most stuff. And then, uh, but a year of that was definitely enough. And then I wanted to see if I can do something new. And uh, I started 
working on some demos that turned out to be a first EP that came out on the week the lockdown started. Yeah. And uh, and uh, the EP started, in a, I was just demoing ideas for myself, but it turned, uh, turned into the album, which is peculiar and a new lesson learned for myself in a way that I recorded everything by myself. So I, I pressed the record button and I played all the instruments. Wow. And so I engineered and produced it myself. And then Tim Palmer, a producer, engineer and mixer, uh, mixed uh, Neon Noir and uh, and helped me out as well, being a sort of a co-producer. So, you know, we discussed via email mostly during the lockdown. Uh, we discussed uh, the finer aspects of record making. Basically, him just telling me, you know, when I was too sort of far away from the essence or or getting too lost in the woods. Yeah, because that's really easy when you're working. But I've never worked. I do. I've always worked on the ideas of the songs in solitude, but not the whole full production. So it's really hard to sort of understand when something's ready, when it's good enough, when you shouldn't add, add when you should take away. So it was an interesting process for a sort of old dog to do something from a very fresh perspective. Did it feel like a challenge because you were so used to a number of personalities being involved and different people wanting to get their ideas across in the studio and you were kind of probably battling at times about what makes the song right and less is more, but sometimes people want to get their voice heard. Was it nice just to strip all that back and it just be yourself and your producer? I think it was exactly the same with all my multiple personalities. You know? <laughs> You're battling <laughs> against yourself. <laughs> yeah, but uh, with the band, I think the thing I mostly missed was not necessarily stuff related to, let's say, arrangement decisions or recording decisions, yeah. but the time in between. So the times when you sat down at the cafeteria and smoking a cigarette and thinking about it all and shooting the poop and uh, sort of throwing out ideas and brainstorming, um, that's very hard to do by yourself. And that's something I did miss. But then again, uh, this kind of work and way of working enabled me to I didn't have to verbalize any of the ideas. I didn't have to explain to the guitar player that, hey, I, I wish this would have a mood of a, of a script of the bridge by the chameleons or whatever, you know, don't fall the intro guitar. It has great vibe, you know, let's get that going. I didn't have to do any of that. So I was just following my instinct. And uh, it was quite a mad way of working. I, I worked on one song at a time. So I always started from scratch, recorded, engineered, um, and, and, and wrote and performed a song at a time and then started anew. So right. all the songs on the albums are, are kind of like, a, they're like 12 mini albums because it was always a learning process because I started always from scratch, all the cabling and all the miking up and figuring out what am I gonna do wrong this time around. And then so, listening back then, if it was all done as 12 mini albums, does it completely flow for you perfectly as a concept? Does it work as a whole album knowing that everything was done differently? I think it does just because of that reason. Because yeah. I was able to reflect from the previous production, uh, sort of like, because I, I didn't, I'm not, hmm, artists or albums that, that, that sound very similar, all the songs, you know, that everything has this sort of like weird linearity. I've never liked that too much. I like artists like Jay's Addiction or, well, it's yeah. kind of like, it has this weird roller coaster ride and it goes a bit too far at times. And then you reel it back and, try to find a balance. I think that's music and that's really human and organic and kind of messed up in a beautiful way. If it's just the same or same or it's just, it feels, you can't be too repetitious. There's yeah, a lot of, of rules. There's a lot of, yeah, there's in Western music, there's a lot of rules. You only have set amount of uh, notes to play with 
and and all that but everything else is up for grabs you know and to do things differently so i, I thought it was a great way of working kind of slow but then again as it was a learning process for me to do the more technical aspects as well um it was a healthy way because i kind of like every song was um um of me trying to convince myself that i can better myself plus that i can uh, uh i can make it happen because it's it's not a given you know the sort of that you can all, all of a sudden make a full song happen it actually comes out of speakers and it sounds like a band playing and there's guitar there's all the stuff you need and required in music and uh, it, it's it's pretty special but then it, and it felt very intimate definitely and, and, and that's something i hope that maybe resonates somehow out from the album into the listeners ears as well that there's there's something endearing endearingly messed up about the whole thing it's, it's wrong in all the right ways because that's that's how i like my music you know perfect is terrible you know we're always looking for the sort of like the 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 perfect uh imperfections or the yeah. beauty marks the beauty that's the what sets us all apart us musicians so uh so it's it's a it's a constant journey and it takes one it was uh, what i find the most exhilarating thing about this whole operation was the fact that uh that how making music can feel so fresh after all these years how like relearning and refining all these little tiny nooks and crannies of musicality how exhilarating it can be it's crazy and it's fantastic because you know it's always been the lifeline it's been my only hope you know so uh so I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm glad that I could make it happen, and, and we are again. It's weird. When you were in the studio and you were and uh, you were sat there recording Neon Noir, were you thinking to yourself consciously that these songs need to work live? Like you don't want to sit there and do twenty overdubs of different drums and synths and guitars in case you can't then transcribe that to stage, and then when people come and see you, you can't actually physically perform the song to that state. Or were you just doing it how you wanted to do it for the listener? Yeah, yeah, and and for myself, uh, yeah. so it needs to be. But I think full blown Beach Boys, yeah, on like a, on a bad trip and too much fuss, <laughs> too but, much acid. Sorry. Oh yeah, indeed. Added added to the proceedings, but uh, um, no, I, I've never thought. Uh, I've always thought that bands like let's say Black Sabbath are a very good example in in that their arms are very different from how they sounded when they played live, and I think that's the beauty of it because when you're playing live, it's more raw and it's more in that moment, and and. <sighs> The ear candy, so to speak, can be wondrous. I love wonderful sounding albums and and the sort of like um, they create a world of of their own, that sort of fantasy land of uh, of sound and rhythm. And uh, and yeah, it's a. And I never thought about playing a single track live when working an album, and I never really did when we were working with him either, because we thought that that's not a good. That's not a good you'll always find a way how to perform a song a way that it works live if required but uh but it, it's cool when you there's a lot of like two drum sets playing at the same time and gazillion synths and a million vocals and uh, all sorts of weird stuff because you know i grew up with the queen and you know listening to all sorts of weird stuff you know so i i find it into i found i find experimental experimental albums i'm a huge fan of jethro tull and uh, well, yes, and all that proggy stuff as well. So uh, I think an album at its best can be a soundscape from somewhere else. It, it sounds, it's it's the sound of the other, yeah. in essence. And and I find find that really exhilarating. Of course, there's ex exceptions that prove the rule. Some really direct, you know, ACDC sort of stuff. 
so it's very balls to the walls and uh in a perfect perfect manner but uh that's the that's the cool thing about and the lovely thing about music in general it goes always both ways and you know on so many different levels that i'm sure that everybody will find something that does satisfy their curious fetishes so so have you got a different mindset now going into next year's tour because there's a hell of a lot of dates already announced some of them have already sold out which must blow your mind because you know the album's not even out yet um but you've got a hardcore fan base especially the hymn fan base that will you know want to support you be there but does your mind change because it's been so long since you've gone out there and sang and seen a crowd and the world's gone back to normal now from lockdown when you couldn't even go out there and play shows do you feel kind of nervous and worried about god is this crowd gonna like these songs or not um the only thing i can do is to, to be to sing them as well as i can yeah i look good while doing it so uh uh, uh and that's that's not me it's a hard task i need to you know get my chops together on both both sides but uh uh of course i'm nervous i think a healthy amount of butterflies is required yeah. to uh to do what what i do and i there's only been a few times in my life when I haven't been nervous before a gig. Usually those gigs are the worst because it means your heart and your soul or whatever you want to call it is not you're not really into it. So so I, I think it's important. I'm I'm excited about next year, especially for the reasons you mentioned that there are in a lot of places um the gigs are being sold out and the lot of tickets it's unbelievable that after all this time there's people actually interested in in hearing what I can offer. You know next year and I'm, I'm sure it'd be good and i do understand that most of the people um maybe 99.5 percent will be people who know me from him and know that material so of course i'm uh i'm uh trying to be the good entertainer i am and uh and playing the half of that will be him him numbers as well so it, it's going to be zigzagging between the past and the present and i think it works yeah i think it works nicely because um songs like the like uh the new one echolocate your love and we're playing rip out the wings of a butterfly right after they work really well together there's been yeah. a there's a there's um 20 years in between but with a new band and um and it's you know the essence of the music the core of the music is is very close they resemble each other very closely i'm quite i was you know kind of weirded out by that since i thought that now it's a clean slate and i'm gonna work on my solo thing i thought that uh, it would find its way to be somehow very different so finding myself in sort of similar place was uh quite life-affirming in a way that it meant to me personally that i've been right all along you know so i, I wonder when you go out there on stage now because you've got the hymn fans there that will support you and want to hear those songs it's such a good opportunity to build a new fan base as well for the younger generation that might not know him your music could touch them and they might not then go and discover him because of this solo act, which would be surely a dream come true if people come to see you for you. Indeed, but it's a, it's a, that's sort of, uh, I've never understood how an artist can build a fan base. I, I, I think a fan base build it, does build itself because once the music is out of, from my hands, it's it's the people's decision whether they want to listen to whether the, they feel that there's something that resonates and they feel that they feel closely enough to that stuff, so they're actually willing to not to buy the Rammstein album but to get Neon Noir. So um, the only thing I can do is to make the best album I can and a yeah. heartfelt and an honest album and there's something that's hopefully unique and um, 
that's the important bit afterwards it's all and it's nice that it's not my decision that's the cool thing about it that that gets it makes it makes it um beautifully nervous and it gets me the butterflies that there's a sense of um playing the lottery sort of thing and the sense of uh sense of las vegas in it you know at the Roll those dice. exactly so I, I i find it you know i find it i find it both of those things important you know you have to work your ass off to to be as good as you can and, and care about music and yeah believe in what you do but then at the same time you know it's uh have to be a bit cheeky you know, with, all, <laughs> with all the insecurity comes the cockiness you know it's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's this juxtaposition of these all these ideas musically and and vibe wise and i think egotistically as well is uh i think that's only natural and with the album being complete and going out there in the new year on this tour surely it's not going to be another five years till the follow-up are you already in your head writing new music all the time are you thinking to yourself actually the songs that didn't make the album which i'd love to still release in the near future um i have my ideas yes but uh i think the most realistic way is to be honestly just keep on continuing uh this path first you know do, get the tour out of the way see how people respond to the material um because if they don't like it if something should happen it doesn't make any sense for me to continue because the reason to release music is to get it out to the people and hopefully communicate on, on some weird non-verbal level and uh and uh otherwise i could just write music for myself and keep it to myself so um so the fact that i'm putting it out means that i do care about people and i do care about success and i do care about the fact that i can hopefully travel around the world and and make this thing you know happen easier said than done but uh but yeah it's a, it's a multi-tentacled beast it is so so and with various different levels that give very different kinds of levels of satisfaction so yeah is, is there other boxes that you want to tick do you want to do some directing of music videos or make a film or go down other avenues maybe do a score for a film in the near future is there other things you want to get involved in or is it just focusing now next year on purely your own material for your new album uh, at least next year yeah I, I think it's important i think it would be unfair for the baby to be thrown out with the bathwater. you know it's, <laughs> I, I, I think it's important to sort of like play this game through really see where i can take it and and uh that's one of the reasons why we're going to be touring quite a bit next year uh and uh really a there's the sort of like sentimental swan song vibe to it meaning that you never know you never know if it's going to happen again so so hopefully we can make uh and i can make all the all the gigs count and so it's sort of bittersweet but then again it does fit what my kind of music to, to keep it bittersweet and uh and uh and, uh, and it has to be emotional otherwise you know ah, there's no reason to do it but um uh all the acting stuff and i don't understand why all of a sudden musicians think that they can do other <laughs> things there's only there's only a few da vinci's you know people can who can actually do various genres of create of the creative arts or whatever and uh i've always put all my energy into music because music itself is very special to me not just not just creating something in general but music and the world of a band or a project you know the iron maiden thing of um, course i have the autogram the symbol and and that's my world um i'm not a director i, I don't know i've never done it so i'm way too old to to yeah. do that so that's all start it's learning like, new tricks now you know, i'd rather try to learn little tricks involved with music 
You know, I think that that's because I can always become way better songwriter and try to translate the feelings into my feelings, into melodies and, and rhythms um, in a way that hopefully uh, permeates deeper into the soul of the listener. That's, that's a never-ending task, you know, and it doesn't have to do necessarily with talent. Uh, it has a lot to do with luck and being there for the right moment to sort of like um, have your antennas up and uh, and get the right messages down. So so it's a, it's a lifelong process, I think. And my final question for you today, and I ask this to everyone that comes on the podcast, I've done over 230 episodes, but everybody gets to choose the last piece of music that's played on the episode. So it doesn't have to be by yourself, but musicians and artists and people in bands, I think, struggle because you've probably got 5,000 songs in your head that you love. But what's a lovely song that you would love to end today's episode on? So as to this interview is all edited and it goes out there for the world to listen to, that final outro piece of music is basically very personal because you get to choose it. It should be personal, but it should be also, um, I think, a doorway to the future. And also what we discussed, um, the, we discussed, or oh, I, I did jabber on about the, my love for music and, and uh, the sort of like how much it means to me and realizing that I think the sort of like when you hear a song that you can't get out of from your head, that is where it all starts from. Definitely. And for me, one of the one of the later, you know, the latter songs I've heard in a while was uh, this band from London called Zetra, Z Z E T R A, and they made a cover of um of an eighties kind of like indie song called uh, from uh, by a band called Mummy Calls, and the song is called um, Beauty Has Her Way, and and the song sounds like a mixture of typo negative meeting cocktail twins oh, in wow. some sort of beautifully lo-fi way. And the band looks amazing. I, I've never seen them live, but it's just two guys. The other guy plays synths. He has a mullet and he has black metal makeup. And the other guy has this wispy, long, blonde hair, has black metal makeup, all the spikes and everything to prove it. And then, uh, uh, then a guitar. And that's it. They have some like TV screens on stage. It, it's such a weird band. But those kinds of things make me believe in rock and roll and music in general. That all of a sudden, out of blue, comes this weird concocting combo of weird people doing weird things and that's what music should be all about and they'd be rocking my world now so it's amazing what i love about this come people pick like a classic like oh i'll pick led zeppelin or the beatles but the fact is now i'll go and check this band out and then um, i'll be ended up going down this rabbit hole listening to loads of new music and now i'll discover probably one of my new favorite bands so i love when someone brings something new to the table it's a good rabbit hole to have yeah know? it sounds a good one i like i like the concept and uh if i get to see them play i'll i'll try yeah. and get there yeah I, I think they've just been signed i'm not sure by whom but it's like uh this upcoming thing they had a lot but most of the music wasn't soundcloud before yeah they have a they have a lot of stuff on or now on all the streaming platforms i'm not sure if they've released anything physical yet but it's just so different and uh and that cover reminded me of somehow it reminded me of uh summer breeze a cover, a, a, the song originally by seals and crofts a type or negative covered on the album of bloody kisses back in i think 93 and then through that it reminds me of him covering wicked game and kind of learning our identity through a cover tune and i think that zetra are doing the same thing they're, they're finding something new and beautiful sort of bringing together um the past decades in sound and and in in lyric i think it's beautiful I really appreciate your time today and i'm going to make sure that i come to one of the uk shows next year 
as Listen. well as uh, download. I saw you got announced this oh. week for download festival, so I can't yeah. wait yeah. because that lineup is insane. You've got Slipknot, Metallica, Bring Me the Horizon, Ghost. The poster's insane. And as soon as I saw your logo, I was like, oh, amazing. I'm going to get to see oh, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. a big yeah, field um, with thousands of people. So download's always been nice. It's uh, the quality of the festival, of the performance, it's always been, you know, over the top. So yeah. it's one, it's a great opportunity. I remember actually a little sort of like story about uh, Download was the last time around him played there. I remember it was the second stage or something and I wasn't really feeling it or whatever. I was having a hard time with my in-ear monitors or something. And then I, I was looking at our, our monitor mixing guy and there was Tony Iommi wow. checking out Gig Out. <clears throat> and I was like, Pinch me. On all, 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 yeah, on all levels. And that was amazing. And yeah. that's the only happened to download it's like meeting of uh, generations and putting together all sorts of different aspects of of music of the noisier kind i love so, that yeah it's, it's a it's a it's a great joint amazing well i hope the rest of the press goes well people are going to love your album i've got an advanced copy i listened this morning and i love it already but i need to give it more time and continuous yeah. plays but thank you so much for coming on the podcast and i really do appreciate your time it means the world Likewise, thanks for having me. So there it is. There's my interview with the absolute genius, Valet Velo. One of the best guests I've had on Mark and Me, one of the biggest names, and just an absolute honour to be able to say that I've had him on here. I'm a huge fan of him, I'm a huge fan of all the music he's written, and I think he's just an absolute genius. And I'm so glad that we get to see him in the UK next year touring with his new solo band, and I think it's going to be amazing. If you get chance, please, please go and check it out. You will not be let down. If you're going to Download Festival, go and check him out. And as I said, there's the brand new album coming next year called Neon Noir. I've been lucky enough to be sent an advanced copy and it's been incredible. I've had it on rotation for the last couple of weeks and I can't get enough of it. So when that comes out next year, get on it and let me know what you think. If you've enjoyed today's interview, all I ask is that you share it. It costs nothing to do and all the links are on markandme.com. If you're a fan of Facebook, then like the episode and hit that share button. If you're on Instagram, why not put it as part of your stories? And if you're on Twitter, it's even easier. Just hit the retweet button. It then gets people on your timelines to see this podcast that might then jump on board. They could be a huge fan of him and then suddenly they're listening to Mark and me each and every week. I can't afford, because I'm an independent podcaster, to pay for all this marketing. It's down to word of mouth, and my fan base is incredible. So loyal, and I see more and more shares every week. So please, if you've enjoyed today's episode, share that episode. Also, to help with the running costs of Mark and Me, to host a podcast on stuff like Amazon, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all the different directories, I do have a Patreon page. The link is on markandme.com, and all I ask is that you support me by either paying one or two pounds a month, and for that, you get some incredible prizes thanks to my friends at Richer Sounds. You get a badge for saying thank you to signing up. You also get some stickers. You get some exclusive gifts. And launching this month, exclusive podcasts that are for Patreons only only for people on Patreon that will get to hear exclusive interviews. And you'll also get the couple of episodes each and every week that everyone gets from Mark and me. And you can do that on the link on markandme.com. It really helps and all goes back into the running of the podcast. I'll be back in only a few days' time with another brand new episode. I really hope you've enjoyed this episode as much as me. But until next time, look after yourself, take care, listen to Veal Velo, and I'll speak to you all very soon.